God, uh, we're here together as uh, your children. And the funny thing about it is that uh, you've known we'd be here from eternity past. You know exactly where we'd sit, who we'd sit with. You knew um, the arguments we'd have on the way here. You knew everything. And uh, so there's just intentionality, Father, in your universe. And we, we just embrace that, Father. And just, um, just pray that this day would be a day where your purposes are met in our lives, where truth uh, intersects with open hearts and hungry hearts and, and um, that your word is strong in our lives, Father. And I just pray for each of us, for me, that uh, we would be about your approval and that's what would matter to us, Father, that we just take joy in that. Thanks for everyone here, Lord. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Uh, when we were up visiting Danae and Mike, uh, we went to one of Danae's classes and a and a professor from Oxford had her doctor from there and used to teach there. Dr. Sarah Williams spoke, and uh, really an amazing teacher. I found myself wanting to go back to school for five minutes, not much longer. But anyway, so as a former publisher, we always uh, find ourselves in bookstores, and uh, sure enough, I found myself in, on, in the campus bookstore. And here were some wonderful books, historical books that Sarah had written on areas of life that I'm not particularly interested in, but you know, I'm not a historian, but. Here was this one little book that she wrote, a Christian living book called Shaming the Strong. And I bought that book, brought it home, and honestly wept my way through it. It was absolutely an amazing book. And Sarah in it tells the story of what, while she was a, pro, a professor at Oxford, uh, uh, got pregnant with their third child. Have, they have two beautiful daughters. And uh, they get pregnant with their third child and all the celebration that comes along with the baby you've been an anticipating and then they found out the news. I forget what it's called, but the, their baby girl had, a, had an illness that essentially they would carry her to full term and she would either die right before the delivery or right after. There was absolutely, at a, there was no hope. And Sarah and her husband and the family, they decided that they would go ahead and carry that baby. Just their reasons, uh, their decision, and just believing that God had chosen them for that, for that journey. And uh, along the way, in church, there was one particular lady, she describes, who just kept talking about healing. You've got to, you know, you've got to ask God to heal. And, and, and certainly Sarah believes in that, and certainly she wanted that. But that became the whole message. And every time she got around this lady, it was always, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to. And finally, Sarah just took her aside and just said, you know, she said, I feel like I'm at a crossroads. I'm at a fork in the road. And I feel like if I look over here, I, there's a sign here and it says healing for my baby. And, and there's a sign over here that says where God is. And she says, I'm pursuing this so much it's become my sole focus. I can't do this anymore. I have to go over here. I have to go over here into the darkness where God is. And we all come to those places in life and have those times in our life where we come to those forks in the road, those difficult, dis difficult decisions. We're in a dark place, and we want out. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a man or woman in a marriage that is not providing what they thought they were signed up for, and they see another path, another way, and they contemplate that path. Shall I go down that path? Shall I go over here where God is? Maybe it's a, 
Maybe it's uh, someone who is in pain, whatever, relational, emotional, and, and uh, they are so, so hurting, so, so, so much in pain that they choose self-medication, drugs, alcohol, food. <laughs> Maybe it's a, uh, a single person just desperate to be married, wanting to be married, and uh, they're looking at this one opportunity and they, they just don't know, and they... Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's me on a retreat up in Canada three weeks ago. I was uh, invited to go uh, on this retreat, and, and just getting there was quite a journey. You flew to Vancouver Airport, you drove across Vancouver, you got in a ferry, you went to a you went to a, uh, you took the ferry to a car, you got in the car, you drove on a windy path, and then you got in a water taxi. It was, it was an effort getting there. And uh, as we were, all, the prize was inside the lodge, we could see the lodge out in the distance. All of a sudden, here comes a couple boats towards us, and one of them is pulling uh, uh, a float tube, I mean a, um, yeah, tube. And uh, the, one of the hosts said, hey, let's jump in the ocean and get on those tubes and get pulled in. I'm thinking, who wants to do that? You know, it's kind of cold out, and, and uh, it's not exactly a beautiful day. But uh, he jumped in, and I want to be one of those guys, you know? I want to be the in crowd, you know, the guy that does the crazy stuff, right? So I jump in and do it, and I'm going, okay, now I'm in. And we go get, get to the dock, and we greet everybody, and then we, there's the lodge, and we go up to the other lodge, and, and the, the uh, owner of the place, a wonderful guy named Bob Goff, was kind of telling us a little bit about what the week was going to look like. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, one thing we're going to do, though, right now is we're going to go ahead and, and jump from the amphitheater out into the ocean. Now, the amphitheater, I admit I exaggerated in the first service. I said it was 600 feet up in the air. It was more like 500. Okay, it was really high. Just kidding. It wasn't that high, but it felt like it to me. Because I don't like jumping, and I've got a reason not to jump. I have an artificial ankle from a horse accident years ago. The doctors tell me I'm not supposed to run on that ankle, so I'm kind of envisioning that jumping off a, okay, 25-foot cliff is a lot like running. You get that impact, and I really shouldn't be doing it. It's not healthy, right? And everybody's jumping off. I pretty much talked myself out of it, and I'm kind of afraid to do it. But finally, I decided not to do it until about a 95-year-old grandmother goes jetting by and jumps in. I mean, great, now I have to do it, right, to be one of those guys. And so, anyways, I did it, and I did it again. That's not where we're going with the story, so hang with me here. So a couple days later, I'm talking to one of the hosts about, the, about, uh, about Brenda's and my marriage, and, and uh, it was good, hon, so... I'll get in trouble if I said no. It's, but anyways, he was saying, hey, Don, would you, I'm going to teach on abiding. Um, can you, I interview you about your marriage and just see if we can make some connections there between that. And I go, sure. But inside, I'm dying. I, I do not want to do this. There are a lot of really smart and sharp people on, the, on, on this uh, retreat. A lot of them, you would know their names. And I'm thinking, why am I here in the first place? And now I, you're going to interview me, and I get this wonderful opportunity to look really stupid in front of some people. And I didn't want to do it, but I knew I was supposed to. And so I said yes. And uh, then roll the tape forward to the last night. The last night, uh, the host asked us, he says, you know, and God had been doing some stuff in a bunch of our lives, all of our lives, actually. And, and he said, I want you to think about, go away and come up with one word that describes your experience here today, this weekend. And uh, just see if you can come up with one word. And as I walked away, I walked down the dock, and I'm, 
I'm really emotional, and I know something significant uh, is, is going on, but I, and I'm, excuse me, I'm trying to figure out how to name it. And I started to think about those events, all those things I didn't want to do, but I did anyways. Why? To basically manage how people thought about me, to manage, you know, I wanted their approval. I wanted to be one of the guys, you know, one of the inner circle, jumping into that cold ocean, you know, and, and then later jumping in again off the 900-foot cliff. And I get the numbers mixed up a little. It'll be 1,000 next time I talk about this. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, and, and all of that. And then finally speaking, I think, wow, I, I am, I don't, I do things to manage people's opinion of me. And then I don't want to do things to manage people's opinion on me. I go, I don't want to live this way. And, and I was thinking about Michael and David when he, David brings the ark back into, the, into Israel. Remember that? And, and David's dancing. He's down in his loincloth, whatever. And Michael's saying, oh, that's pretty cool for the king to put on a show like that. And David said, you think that was undignified? I'll get more undignified. And I said, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be undignified. I want to be like David and like he was. I want to know that freedom. And I, I was thinking about Chris Tomlin's song, you know, the one that says, I want to dance like there's no one watching. I want to sing like there's no one around. That's what I want. I want to be able to sing over here where I sit regularly. And I want to not worry what you guys are thinking about me and, and worry about, worry about what your opinions are of me. I really want to do that for God. I want to take a quick aside and tell you something I think right now. For, I think there's a bunch of people out here who don't sing. It's because you don't think you can sing. I'm going to tell you what Don's belief about that is. I got a hunch, just like we sing about the colors and the rainbows. I, I think when we get to heaven, there's going to be stuff we've never imagined, never seen before. It is my personal theory. I'm not going to die for this one. But when we get to heaven, those of us that don't, can't sing, I got a hunch that we're going to be the stars of heaven. That we're, God has got this somehow our voices are going to blend in and make a harmony we've never heard before. I really believe that, and I really want to encourage you to sing and forget about who's listening. And you know what? If somebody's next to you and they can't carry a tune, you know, wow, think about what that's going to be like in heaven. I didn't say that in the first service, but I just want to encourage you. I really believe that. So sing. And it's, yeah, I, in heaven, yeah, just sing like there's, and that's what I want to do. I want to sing like there's no one listening. I just want to sing with abandon before the Lord. And I, I couldn't, I, so I'm kind of trying to come up with these words and what is it? What, what's the word? What is it that I want? And, and I just felt like God was saying, I, I was thinking freedom and, you know, abandonment and whatever. And then all of a sudden this word hit me. And I realized, I just started weeping. And I go, oh my, and I weep at the memory of it. And the word was unshackled. Unshackled, I felt like Jesus was saying, Don, you are so bound up, so worried about what people think of you. You are just, you're so bound up with it. I just want to set you free. I feel like that uh, when, I, when I was on the journey, uh, on the retreat, I wrote down that, um, see, I'd been choosing this path. The path that I had been choosing wasn't where God was. I was choosing the approval of man. And I felt like uh, Jesus had just been waiting for me all that time to come to that place. And I wrote down that Jesus is just this patient friend. He's this patient friend. But he's not waiting for a hole in our schedules, you know. He's not waiting for you to say, hey, I got five minutes to fit you in. He's just kind of waiting for all of us. He's this patient friend. And all of us uh, have these choices. And why, when, when all the time Jesus is whispering, waiting, and, you know, to that, to that single person, you know, who 
so wants to be married, Jesus is whispering, hey, I love you. I've loved you from eternally past. I will love you forever. Come to me. And to, to a person, a, a woman in a marriage that, you know, where the man isn't loving her like she signed up for, like he used to love her, Jesus is saying, I love you. I love you. And to a man, a, a dad in a marriage where he doesn't feel respected and, and his wife talks about what her girlfriend's husbands are doing and providing for the family, Jesus, and he feels marginalized, he feels not needed, Jesus saying, oh, I, I need you. If you could only hear what I tell my father about you. And to the person in pain who self-medicates, Jesus is saying, only I can fill the hole in your heart. He's whispering that. Only I can do that. Come to me, you are weary. And to me, to Don, he's saying, that guy up in the retreat, he said, Don, why are you so desperate for their approval? Why are you so desperate for their approval? Don, you know you're my brother. You're a joint heir of this kingdom. You're a prince in this kingdom. C.S. Lewis said that if people could see us in glory, they'd be tempted to worship. Don, you're my son. Why are you so worried about their approval? I want to read a passage uh, of scripture for you. Uh, Isaiah 50, 10, and 11. It says, uh, Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches you have made. This you have from my hand, you'll you'll lie down in torment. Now, darkness for today is that place in our lives. It's a trial, it's tribulation. It's a place of silence from God. It's a place where we have decisions to make. We have a fork in the road, and we have a decision to make whether to go after God or go after that thing that brings us pleasure, that brings us relief, or brings us hope, we think. And one thing I can tell you, everybody in this room, that the one thing I know unequivocally to be true, you either have gone through a dark place, you either will go through a dark place, or you, or you are. That's absolutely true. Jesus said in, in John uh, 16 that in this world you will have tribulation. It's going to happen, you know. And I, I don't really, I can't tell you all the reasons why God allows us to go through these things, to experience these things. One of the things we know for sure is that Scripture teaches that these trials, they, they conform us to the image of Christ, that very person that pleased God more than anybody. They make us like Jesus. Another thing we know from Hebrews 6 is that, that God values our faith. So oftentimes he will put us in a place where we have to slash get to trust him. So God values our faith. And another reason, I think, is that God uh, sometimes lets us to go through these things so that he can reveal to us something he already knows about us to be true. Maybe you've always had resources. You don't know what it'd be like to have, not have them. You don't know if you could handle it, but God knows. And he's putting you in a place so that you can actually know what he already knows, so you can experience that. One of the temptations that we have when we're in the middle of these dark places is to remove ourselves. 
one of my sins, uh, one of my besetting sins, something I'm trying to work on. I'm a, some people say an idea guy, and so what happens sometimes, the Lord gives an idea, and I'm taken off running before he's done finishing his sentence, you know? And I'm trying to work on that, but I think that's one of the things, too. We're tempted in the middle of that dark time, in the middle of our pain, discouragement, disillusionment, to remove ourselves from that place where God has us. And I want to share a story out of uh, 1 Samuel 13 about when Saul had just become king. You remember that, uh, you know, God picked him out and to be the first king over Israel. The people had gotten tired of, of not having a, a, a king. They needed somebody to protect him, they thought. And so God selected uh, Saul. And the first thing you see about Saul, he's out hiding when it's time to anoint him. He's out hiding because from, from, he's timid. The very next thing you see, the very next thing you see of his kingship, he's in trouble because not he, but his son Jonathan went out and uh, decided to hang a whooping on the Philistine garrison. Now, the, the Philistines had been doing that, and one of the reasons why the children of Israel wanted a, a king to protect them and look after them, they'd been doing that for quite some time, and they were unaccustomed to being beaten by the Israelites. Didn't like it. So they called out their army, and they headed towards Gilgal, and Saul did the exact same thing, blew the horn and called all the people together. I'm sure he had some choice words for Jonathan. What were you thinking? We're not ready for a war, and you're out there fighting this garrison by yourself. But they found themselves there. And what Scripture says is that the people were actually trembling. He'd called all their warriors together, and they came, but they were afraid. They had not had a culture and not history of, of winning against the Philistines, and they were absolutely afraid. It says that they were trembling. In fact, you know, Scripture also says that these guys uh, were, were scattering. They were actually leaving the land. They were migrating to other countries. And they were hiding in holes in the ground, in caves, in graves, and cisterns. That's what the Scripture says. And the guys were all hiding. And so Saul is worried. Now, apparently Samuel had told him, I want you to wait seven days after you blow the horn, and I'll show up and we're going to offer sacrifice. Because you don't want to go in battle without the Lord. You want to offer these sacrifices. So Saul is, you know, watching everybody disappear. It says they were scattering, hiding, scattering. He knows the condition of his army, and he can't wait for Samuel to get there. In fact, on the seventh day, Samuel hadn't showed up when Saul thought he'd show up, when he thought he'd show up. And what, so Saul decides to take some matters into his own hands. He decides to offer the sacrifices himself, and he does. And right, right as he's finished, evening of the seventh day, still the seventh day, in walks Samuel. And he says, what's going on here? Well, you said you'd be here on the seventh day. And the people were scattering like crazy. And there's no way I wanted to go fight these guys without the blessing of God. So I forced myself to do the sacrifices. Well, out of that, the Lord uh, tells him, you know what? You have, I mean, Samuel, uh, the Lord through Samuel said, you have profaned God. You've made little of him made little of his word, and because of that, you aren't going to be the king. Your, your, your son Jonathan is not going to sit on the throne, and uh, you're, you're done. And over a period of time, he was done, and that's what he did. Saul lit his own candle. I mean, he lit his own light just moments before the, that God showed up. And one thing that is abs I can't tell you for absolute certainty, I, I, I have no idea for you that are going through things right now, I cannot tell you if it's, when it's going to end. I have no idea if it's going to end today. Don't have any idea if it's going to end a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, two years from now. Don't know. And maybe you're one of those, though, that God can trust 
with pain. Maybe your finish line is actually on the other side of the grave because God can trust you that much with his glory. Can't tell you when it's going to end, but one thing I do know is that uh, I don't want to be like Saul. I don't want to light my own light. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me, and I want to see him light it up. So how do you, how do you stand firm in the darkness? How, how do you do that? I mean, okay, we've got this decision. There's heart. I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I am feeling lonely. I am feeling scared. All the things that darkness does, I'm feeling isolated. How do you stand firm? I want you to listen to the words of King David, the man that God chose to replace Saul. He says in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty nine. he says, uh, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. In Psalms 18, he says, For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. So what are the operative conditions for us in our lives for this to be true? That where we could know that God is the one lighting up. What, what was it about David? I mean, in all his humanity, if you know any of the stories about him, you know this guy sinned greatly, and yet he was called the friend of God. He was called a man, excuse, excuse me, he was called a man after God's own heart. What has to exist in our life? I'd like to ask you a question, first of all, before we go any deeper, and that is this. I want you to, if, I, if we were to sit down to have coffee, um, and I asked you, uh, hey, tell, tell me about your relationship with Christ. I want you to just take a second to think about the first thing you'd tell me. Just right now, just think about it for a second. So, some of us, a lot of us, maybe thought about when we became a Christian. And we described our relationship as a historical event. Hey, I became a Christian back then. Da, 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 da. And we're not talking about our friend Jesus. And we, we aren't des- we're describing, just like in school, you know, remember when you had to bring a current event, you know, right? what's happening now? And for so many of us, we don't have a current relationship with Christ. It's, it's not fresh. It's not new. Listen to what Peter says. He's talking to some people in the uh, early church, and uh, he's talking about their relationship with Christ. And he says, in 1 Peter 1.8, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. So how do we have that kind of relationship with God? I mean, that where we can say he lights up my darkness. Clue is found in Psalms 119, 105, where David, a man who knew a lot of darkness, told he was going to be the king here. Years later, he's the king running, rebellion from his own men, so many things going against him. And in Psalms 119, he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Brenda and I uh, met at Multnomah School of the Bible, and the founder of the school was Dr. John Mitchell. And this guy was amazing. He absolutely knew the Word. I mean, we would be sitting in a big room like this, spiritual life class, and uh, we'd quote a verse in the Bible. He'd quote a verse on either side of it. Uh, We'd quote the last verse of a minor prophet. He'd quote the verse before, and then he'd start sitting there, 
And he'd quote the verse of the next minor prophet. The guy was absolutely amazing. I one time got a chance to ask him about his scripture learning. I said, you know, I'm not a big one on gifts like that. He said, excuse me, but um, when I first got saved, he was on the prairies of Saskatchewan when he was 24. He was a machinist. And he said, I used to put my alarm clock down by my, um, my chair and set it for 5.30 to go to work in the morning. And he's, I'd start reading my Bible. The next thing I know, alarm clock would go off. It was time to go to work. He said, now I might not read it the next night, but a few nights later, he'd just read his Bible. And he used to always talk to us as students. He'd tease us when we didn't know a verse he wanted us to quote. He said, don't you folks read your Bibles, you know? And he always talked about falling in love with the Savior. And he died at 90-some years old. When he died, Howard Hendricks said of him, imagine this being said about you when you die by a leader of the, of the church today. He'd said, the body of Christ has suffered an incalculable loss. Imagine that being said. But this man, he would, he would always talk about, always talk about falling in love with the Savior up into his 90s. And the big thing, he, this little phrase captured me, and I want to bring it back to this verse here. He said, the written word reveals the living word. All right? The written word reveals the living word. You know, we, we think about our relationship with Christ, and sometimes maybe it's dull and stuff, and we think about the word, and we, we've tried to read it before, and, you know, I, like I said earlier that, you know, maybe our elders and pastors might admit that some passages are dull. It's kind of hard to get some stuff out of the genealogy. I mean, maybe somebody can. I've struggled with that. Okay, true confessions. But Scripture is, Scripture says it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than two, any, any two-edged sword. And if it is the thing that reveals Christ to us, don't we think, can't we expect that we're going to have a challenge when we want to sit down and read it? And maybe sometime it's an offering of faith just reading it. I will tell you my own experience. When I've read, I am amazed at times when I read this passage, and then you go meet somebody, and God gave you the exact thing they needed or that you needed. I, I know that's some of your experience as well, too. It's amazing how God preps us to uh, walk through life when, when we actually let him. But uh, I, just, I just can't personally imagine, you know, walking through a dark time without the word of God. I don't know how a person gets through it. You remember the, the children of Israel at Gilgal? It, said they, it says they trembled. They trembled. I think maybe they were trembling at the wrong things. Isaiah 66 said, but this is the one whom I will look to. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. He said, I'm just not sure how you get through darkness without the comfort of this book. I'm also not sure how you get to, through darkness um, without talking to God, without prayer. If you look at David, uh, what he had going in his life, and again, uh, very human, really messed up a lot. But, I mean, the guy just had a lot of stuff, a lot of dark, and his psalms are just filled with him crying out to God, and they are his prayers. And I don't know about you, but uh, I can remember some of my first nights sleeping outside alone with my buddies in the dark, Clackamas, Oregon, with Ken Purvis and sleeping out there. And we're scared, a couple young guys. And, and you know what got me through the darkness? I mean, got, got me through the night, helped me go to sleep? My friend's voice, Ken's voice. And when you're in a dark time, I, I just don't know how you get through that without the word and without Christ without talking to him. 
One thing I uh, can tell you about darkness is there's a process. It's, it's, you know, it's like when you step into a dark place, it grows lighter. And I want to read uh, just a couple more verses for you, and then we're going to have Justin and team come on back up and lead us in an extended period of worship. But Psalms 112a says, um, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. So God's promise to you. It was dark out there. Light dawns in the darkness. And here's a personal favorite. I've, I've given this to 100 people through the years, just a verse that's been very special for me. It's Proverbs 14. It says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, growing ever brighter till the full light of day. Ever brighter till the full light of day. God is a God of clarity. He's a God of light. And, and, he, and, and he's a God that's there with you in those dark times. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, I learned when I was in Canada with all these people is we all have stuff. We all have stuff that we have to deal with and needs to be deal with. We think we've got to dress up right, put on the happy face, and, you know, and show up. And the fact of the matter is, and we were talking about earlier, is that th this group of people, many of us will know each other for trillions of years. Trillions. I mean, really, really. People that I'll never get a chance to say hello to in this service today, I'll get to hang out with for a thousand years sometime. And just the idea that we're going to know each other forever just, just encourages me to encourage you to reach out. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, somebody, sitting, some, some, somebody is sitting out there next to someone who is really, really hurting. Um, you may not know that, um, but they are. And just as we go into this time of worship, um, I just, let's just pray that the Spirit of God amplifies any of these truths in our own lives and just gives us, you, you who are hurting, we who are hurting, just the courage and, and to tap somebody on the shoulder to pray with. And we're in this thing together. We truly, truly are. We are in this thing together. And just, again, just let the Spirit of God minister to you through the songs. They've selected some songs that really drive these points home. And let's just use this as that time. And if anybody wants to pray, I'll be down over here. And uh, just use this time, as I say, to, to talk to God and, and to listen, all right? Thanks. Thanks.